No matter where your business is in Canada, connectivity shouldn't be a concern. Whether your business is rural, remote, or urban, reliable, scalable internet is available to you and your business. Explore Business is expanding our network. With our extensive fiber, fixed wireless, and satellite networks, we're able to bring you the connectivity your business deserves, with the ability to grow right where you are. With investments in fiber and 5G technology, Explore Business is your new choice for business internet. Get connected with Explore Business today. Are you ready to clear a new path? Welcome to Clearing a New Path podcast, a space for the underrepresented voices in rural Canada. I'm your host, Shauna Ray. Each episode, we'll speak authentic truth because it's the truth that connects us. We'll examine issues, solutions, and hope outside of the city limits. Clearing a New Path podcast is an invitation to listen and learn along with me on the road to building a more united, feminist, anti-racist rural Canada, one rooted in diversity and driven by reconciliation. Let's learn together, clearing a new path. Montana Adams own Adams Family Inc. and Boutique on Six Nations of the Grand River Territory near Brantford, Ontario. But it is clear Katie runs the business. But this is at the root of her Indigenous heritage and family teaching, which you will hear in this episode. Katie was born and raised on Six Nations on the Onondaga First Nation. She is Deer Clan and a proud Haudenosaunee woman. Her husband, Montana, is from Anjigong First Nation, which is Chippewa and Ojibwe. Katie talks about qualifying on reserve for a mortgage to build her own house, that only her income was considered because only she is a band member there. She talks about making the decision to turn the main floor of their home into a tattoo studio and boutique and moving their living space downstairs. Katie took politics at Western University in London, Ontario, and she explains how it felt as an Indigenous woman to learn in an environment surrounded by people who didn't know her history. She talks about how Indigenous politics works, the benefits and the drawbacks, and her experience with witnessing mediation talks and full voting in Indigenous community. And Katie is very open about her mental health and how important she feels it is to be vulnerable about that so others can feel less isolated and alone. I learned a great deal from this conversation. I hope you do too. And by the way, Katie is preparing to create her own podcast, so stay tuned for that in the future. Well, Katie, I think the first thing I'm going to ask you is... Why did you and your husband decide to open a tattoo parlor? To a lot of people, it looks like we just like woke up one day and decided like, um, we're going to open up a tattoo studio. It, it wasn't really that way. <laughs> I mean, it kind of was, but not really. We were really scared for a long time. And I remember when I first met Montana and he was working like an um, industrial factory um, setting. He wasn't doing anything professional with these art at all and I was in school I went to uh, Western University in London and so I was there and I was studying political science and indigenous studies and so that's how me and Montana met and he was there and he was working he had went to school first he never introduced himself as an artist like or as a tattoo artist so I didn't know that that's who he was or anything like that and then later on you know once our relationship had got more serious and you know we were actually more dating and got to know each other um I just really pushed him for that he come from a family where 
they didn't really have any artistic um like his uncle was artistic but not like professionally right um for my family I'm not artistic like at all I say I'm one with the words but that's it like I can't draw I can't do any kind of like sculptures or anything like that really um I try but I appreciate it all but I don't have any talent like that at all my um my parents they can do carving like soapstone carving my mom has drawn and been like drawn and did sketches and everything like I grew up looking through her sketchbook and everything like that my brother um he can draw too my grandfather he has like soapstone carvings like in museums and everything like that so I come from a very artistic family and Montana came from the opposite so we kind of fit with each other's family like it's kind of weird that way but that's how it worked so I just remember telling him like why aren't you doing this right like why isn't this not your job like you should be doing this this is just you're so talented already like naturally why 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 not all this energy that you're doing put that towards that and he was just like that's not something I can do like I can't live off of my art and I was like why not like says who right I grew up with a family that was um my mom she was the complete opposite like I never heard the word that you can't do anything or you shouldn't right I remember I had to do this interview and we had to interview one of our parents and so it was my mom who I had to interview and it was just like one of the questions I think it was in either university or high school but one of the last questions was just um if you could give one piece of advice to like your children what would it be and this was a piece of advice that she gives us all the time but this is what she had told me to write out and everyone in my class was so shocked because we had to share our answers and so she was just like, if your dreams don't scare you, then you're not dreaming big enough. Dream bigger. In my community, we have like community, like either craft markets or um, like bazaars, they're called. So like Christmas bazaars, right? And they're like kind of annual ones. They happen like every year. So we would um, sign up and get Montana to, you know, bring some paintings and prints and stuff like that. And my mom would bring either her own soapstone carvings or like my grandpa's just to kind of like make him not so stressed by doing it for himself. So the first couple that he did, he did with my mom. And then he kind of just kept going from there. And then eventually we moved from London back to Six Nations. And he was just getting more discontent with his life with working and doing all of that right I think he finally saw the possibility of doing other stuff and after I finished university and I come back to Brantford I got a really good like part like full-time job like right away um I worked for a not-for-profit so we were really lucky like um financially we didn't have to worry about that so it was like this is the time right we don't have children we have just me and you like do it take the jump and I remember just yeah I didn't take him to work one day we only like we were sharing a vehicle and I just he was upset about having to go to work and stuff and just like okay that's it and I just turned around and I didn't even give him the option and I was just like you're you're done we're not doing this anymore and then he just did a couple different like um self-employment programs and um entrepreneur programs that were being provided through our community and so he got funding for that and then he started doing it and then he just kind of started putting himself out there and out there and then the pandemic happened which I think changed a lot for everybody we um before the pandemic we just kept waiting like you know like okay we know we want to open up our own studio but like when the perfect time like you know when everything is perfect or when this is done and this is done and then the pandemic happened and I left my job that I had um kind of start taking more focus on my mental health which took a big dive and we opened up another small business which a lot of people don't know and that failed pretty fast and then after that like doing something and putting everything into it and then having it fail and I was scared of that and Montana was scared of that but then we did it and we survived right like oh my god and that was like the most freeing thing ever was like you know you can fail and that's okay right and I learned a lot and Montana learned a lot and he was um he had like in between this time he had applied and gotten himself like in at a tattoo studio I told him like you should learn how to work at one before we try to open our own I'm not a person that has anything to do with the tattoo industry I've been a manager and I've done retail but 
not anything with tattoos. So, you know, that's a way out of um, my knowledge. So he did that and he learned a lot and he, you know, built up his clientele and just kind of got his name out there. And then after we opened up that business and then it failed. And then I remember coming to him one year. It was, I want to say December, what are we in? 2020. So it would be December 2020. And I just come to him and we built our own house. So I built a house during the pandemic, which I don't recommend that was crazy and stressful. (laughs) And so yeah, I had gotten approved like right before and they started building like and then the pandemic hit. So that was crazy. We had all that and we had the space and everything where we lived. There isn't a lot of like commercial rentals. I knew that I wanted to have our studio and my retail store on Six Nations versus like off reserve. There's just a lot of different processes and stuff that you have to do. But just like connecting with your community too. Like my community, though I've lived in Brantford a little bit, I feel and connect more with Six Nations than I do with any other surrounding community. So it just felt better and more right for me to be here. We converted our house that we built into our studio into our retail space so because we couldn't find any commercial space to rent or anything like that in our area which is not like not um uncommon or unheard of i start looking for different rentals off reserve and they were like astronomical right like three thousand to five thousand and so i had a whole house for myself and we had more than enough space and i just went to montana and i was like I think we should do it here, right? And we should convert this like top um, level and then the bottom basement level can just be our living space. And, you know, we've lived in different cities and, you know, in downtown areas in the city, they convert businesses, like houses into businesses all the time, right? When we first did it, we first opened, it was so crazy. People did not know what to think of it. People thought it was so weird. And I was like, this happens all the time, right? Like maybe not where we are, I guess, but... I kind of always been more unconventional and just I'll just try it until it works I guess and if it don't work that's where the failure part comes in right I used to always be scared of failing and like oh my god like it didn't work and now I'm just like okay it didn't like the entire thing didn't work but ABC did work and let's move on and figure out like how to make it better the next time right so I think it just changed our whole mindset and our whole perspective and Definitely failing first and then surviving has just been like, I don't know, for me personally, the biggest freedom. What you're talking about building your house and then changing it into a commercial space on reserve Mm -hmm. is innovation. I think of it as decolonization. What about you? Oh, yeah, definitely. Because if you look at it, right, um, you look at the realities of on-reserve like housing the housing crisis and how even most houses are right right up until when I we moved back from London we moved to Brantford for about a year and then we got I applied for um, a mortgage down here on reserve so the way that it works on reserve is that you can only own um, property or anything like that if you are a band member so on like off reserve when if you are buying a house or you're applying for a mortgage and you can apply for that with your husband or your partner or your spouse or whoever it is um that wasn't the case with me i had to do it all on my own so i had to qualify for that all on my own none of montana's income or anything could be used or anything like that so you know that's one barrier a, another barrier right and then if you look at so I got that figured out and then we would have to pay, like I would have to start paying my mortgage um, right away. And it would take about a year, they said, to build my house. So I couldn't afford to rent and then pay my mortgage while they were building my house. So I moved back in with my mom, which wasn't uncommon down here. A lot of people like live with their parents. There's multi-generational households, which is pretty much the common down here. Me in Montana, off-reserve, people wouldn't even bat an eye that we are in our you know at the time I was in my late 20s but late 20s to early 30s that we own our own home or that even that we're able to rent it on our own and live together 
that's just common. That's just the way that, you know, most people do on reserve. That is not the way that it is, right? You usually live with your family. You live with either your grandparents and your parents live with your family or you have cousins or all of your siblings. And it's, you know, it's more uncommon to see um, couples just live on their own if they don't have their own houses or anything like that. Not that it doesn't happen. And it really, really does, right? For us, we really just took like that and knowing like how lucky we were. Like, and, you know, we had that certain of a privilege too, whereas others in our community don't have that, right? And so we recognize that and we just try to make the best of it and like what we could, right? If I didn't have my house, I didn't have that ability to do that, then no, I wouldn't have been able to open my business or anything like that because we just wouldn't have been able to afford to. You mentioned your Indigenous heritage. How do you work that into the center and the heart of your business? I guess the way it's ran is probably the biggest core teaching and value. As I said, I'm from the Onondaga Nation, but we are, I've come from the Haudenosaunee people, and we are, as a society, matriarchal. So that means that, I guess, in short terms, you know, women, women are the leaders they're the ones who are the decision makers and they're the ones who have a lot more of a say than what is usually seen in western society and patriarchal society right so I grew up like that and I grew up in a very different society and even household right because I had those mindsets first and those teachings first and those values not only just from the women in my society but the men as well right so like my my brothers grew up that way my my dad very much grew up that way. My grandparents in Montana grew up, he's, so from Ojibwe, they're, they're patrilineal, right? So they go through their dad as well. So that was a lot different when he come and people always joke about him and they're just like, you did not know what you were signing up for when you married a Haudenosaunee woman. And he's like, I didn't, I really didn't, right? I thought it was just her, but it's not, it's everything that she's a product of. And I'm very proud of that. So some people will come into um, we've had some clients or maybe customers or visitors to the studio. And as soon as they want to talk business or talk about the studio and plans or just anything official, right? They look past me and look to Montana. And um, I'm very lucky that I have a partner who will be like, I don't know, you have to ask Kate because she's the boss, right? I'm, I'm not the boss. I don't, I don't know. I have nothing to do with any of the questions you're asking I don't do any of that. Like, I just, I have no idea. So probably that's probably where the biggest thing comes from is that, you know, I'm more look to than, than the male part. Um, other than that, just everything, I guess, like reciprocity, community, um, family, like, and that just goes bigger than, you know, especially if you talk about business and business culture, I used to work in an employment um, agency, employment and training agency. So we were really taught as employment coaches that certain businesses, when they're talking about like how their businesses or their organization is like a family and this and that, like how that can be seen as toxic, right? And so we're literally called the Adams family um, in Boutique. So I really didn't want that to come off that way because I know that it can, right? And the way that you have to do that is being genuine and authentic. And we just try to bring that back to who we are as people. So that the only thing that I can come back to is my teachings. And that's how I was raised. And I try to bring as much as Montana's culture in as I can, right, without overstepping. And it's it's not mine, um, but I still want it to be visible. And because he is a part of it, he's a big part of it. Um, and he and he'll put his input in there, like whenever he can and everything like that. But I guess that's where it comes from, um, from the way that we run our advertising, which we don't do traditional media. I've never ever ran any um official advertising or promo like in newspaper or radio um we've only done i try to call it more like a community type of promo or word of mouth really right that's what we try to um really build off of through our community is just who are you going to trust more than the people that tell you everything right i was in university and i took politics and you know i know how the media works and stuff so i just try to do what i can to decolonize what i can what i have the power to do i guess and what i can control well i want to ask you about that so politics 
As an indigenous woman, what do you think of politics? I think a lot about it, actually. I... When I first went to school and everyone from my community found out that I was taking politics, they were really upset, right? Like, why do you want to go and learn about the people who did all these horrible things to you, right? And and I grew up knowing those. I grew up knowing our history, what happened with the 60s scoop, the residential schools, um, missing and murdered Indigenous women, right? I grew up with it all. I experienced it all. I went to an Indian day school myself, actually. A lot of people don't know that because I'm so young, but um, I did. Um, So I did experience a lot of that myself. Um, Politics is just something that's always been lived experience, I guess, for us. My dad used to tell me all the time, don't ever think that you can't, like, don't ever think you have the privilege of not understanding or being, like, just aware of what kind of politics is happening, right? Not only in our community, but, you know, in our, like, Ontario as the province or the local municipalities around us and, like, Canada as a whole. Even North America, because as an Indigenous person, I'm North American to all of North America, right? Turtle Island, not just Canada. So you go to, like, the Jays Treaty, which is politics, too. I have dual citizenship, so I pay attention to what happens in the States just as much as Canada. So when people were asking me, like, why would you take politics? Like, that has nothing to do with you and me. I was like, why wouldn't I take politics? Like, that has everything to do with me, right? My dad used to tell me all the time, Katie, as an Indigenous person, I'm sorry, but you are a political entity, just yourself. Like, they made you that way. You go to the Indian Act, you go to any other legislators that happen, and that's true, it's fact, it still is, right? They don't see us as humans, they see us as a subject. So I don't really have the privilege of not being, you know, aware of politics around me, even municipality level, you know, that's the people who are doing subdivisions, who are still, you know, taking land that in our opinion and from our mindset it belongs to us, right? So you talk about that land back movement and everything like that. It's just, it's all interconnected, right? You can't talk about one without the other. And I think a lot of people especially in like um, westernized society, I guess, when I went to school. I, a lot of politics classes are based on debates. So they don't really just like, oh, some classes will lecture you, right, when you're in like first year or something like that. Later on, what they really want is just to talk. They want you to be able to um, articulate how you're thinking, what your opinions are, and to be able to bring it out across to people, right? And then make people believe you, really. Um, so I used to have to take this capitalism and um, democracy class. <laughs> and that was a crazy class. I was the only, not only um, Indigenous woman, but only Indigenous person in the entire class that um, was there. And we used to have to debate on why capitalism is bad or not bad. So some people in the class would talk about the you know, the the good sides of capitalism. And that's, I was just so backwards, right? So I used to have to really put in and not get angry, right? Have to control yourself, have to monitor how you're coming off and still like talk in an articulate way so people take you serious. And then you're a woman too, and you're talking to other men, the majority of white, straight male men. So that's another thing. Um, it was It was hard, but it was really life-changing um the things that I broke through the stigmas you know I remember when I first started and they're they're pretty particular right when you write um your papers and essays and everything you have to cite stuff and and politics you use Chicago style well what I had to anyways when I was there I don't know if they changed or anything but when I used to have to start talking about things a lot of my Um, papers I would try to bring back to our politics, like Indigenous governance and Indigenous politics. That's where my real passion lies. Um, If people don't know, Haudenosaunee Confederacy is like the oldest democracy on Turtle Island, right? So it's definitely, you know, something I was just born into. So obviously that passion is there. But um, I just remember like people not really fully understanding, like, you know, like how backwards their thinking was. And it was so funny to realize, like, 
their their thinking is so normalized to them, right? And I was really, really lucky, I guess. I grew up with a very decolonial thinking, which in a lot of ways I still am very colonized too, right? But I have that awareness and I've built it up more, especially since going to like university and being in politics classes that has helped me with my own self-awareness of like, whoa, like with the media thing, we took classes on just like how people talk about stuff in articles and through podcasts and radio and TV and then movies and stuff like that, right? So me, myself, being able to pick that out when there's, like, provincial government or federal, like, elections and stuff like that and being able to pick, like, their press releases and different stuff that maybe they're saying about Indigenous people, I have that perspective of both sides, right, because I have went through that and I can tell people either just that I know personally or I on Facebook I kind of rant a lot (laughs) about political things so I can really put my opinion on there but people seem to really like that and I think it's because I kind of have that thinking of both ways right if you think about politics and why I really really how it fits I guess with me as an indigenous person there's a treaty that we have as Haudenosaunee people and it's called the Tuaro Wampum and so what that means really was that when um, European settlers first came, we come up with an agreement, our ancestors, that we would stay in our canoe and that they would stay in their boat. And so growing up, there's a lot of like symbolisms and different like um, metaphors, right, that are used in different cultures and stuff like that. So for us, one was the walking in two worlds and how to do that, right? And I think not only us, but a lot of Indigenous people and even just a lot of non-white people, I guess, like in Canada, right? Like even newcomers would have to figure out how to walk into the world of like their cultural upbringing versus like a mainly westernized. Um, So that was different. I didn't really have to deal with that too much until I got to high school. I went to school on reserve right up until grade nine. I never really interacted with anyone that was non-native or anything like that. So that was a huge culture shock. And then going to university and then moving to the city and stuff like that, that was a huge culture shock. And then just realizing how little people knew of things that were very common sense, like in my upbringing. So you talk about like residential schools and different stuff like that. Those were things that were just talked about around the family table because that was kind of the reality that we lived in, right? And you go to these big schools and these people... And Western's a pretty well-known school, you know what I mean? And some of these kids that were there, they went to private schools or whatever the education was that they may have. And they really, really just lacked, like, to me, common knowledge of the, like, you know, main people, right? And it's not just from my own culture and my own community, but, like, all First Nations community or all Indigenous communities, right? there was things that I just was told or knew and other people didn't. And I was just like how do you not know that? Like, and you're the one in politics, you're the, you're the person that's gonna be the mayor or be the counselor. And you know what I mean? And then I got into student council um, at Western because I was just like, we need to right? like, we're not supposed to be there. I guess I've always been told that as an indigenous person or as a Haudenosaunee person, you know, like, I have to stay in my lane kind of deal. I have to stay in my canoe. Um, So a lot of Indigenous people you'll find don't even vote, right? Like in either provincial elections or federal elections, I have never voted, even though I'm very political aware. That's not because I don't find it important. And I try to educate as many people, especially non-Native people around me that I know do vote, right? Like the people that you're voting for, this is how it's going to affect me. And you know me personally, right, as a human being in your life. So when it's just on the news and they're saying all these things and it has nothing to do with you, I want you to look like that in a different way, right? Because these people are your neighbors or they might be your niece and nephew's parents, right? Like if you have ones who are mixed and stuff like that. Um, And I just think yeah, politics really has a lot more to do with than what people think. And at the end of the day, I kind of wanted to realize how the other people run their boat, I guess, and how they fix it and how they maintain it. And then maybe we would have a better chance of just knowing where they come from, right? When they're coming to that table 
and whether it be negotiations if you're talking about land claims or um, consultations you know with different governments and anything like that you really need to know that you guys are coming from the same place of understanding my community six nations we had a land claim dispute that was really big there was all kinds of police and there was some violent things that happened and everything like that and my family was very um, involved in that and I used to go to school in the city like in the little town it's called Caledonia so I used to go to high school there I wasn't allowed to keep going there because it was just it became very just like volatile, I guess. But my like, so from that right, um, there was months later, and our community's um, government got to sit, not got to sit down, but they went to the table with the provincial and federal governments to start negotiations to get these protests. They were trying to get the roads unblocked and different things, right? Um, because it had escalated and they were scared that it would continue to escalate and different stuff like that. So I remember I was probably about 15, 16, and I was actually able to go there. My dad um, took me to where they were having these negotiations. And so I got to sit there and watch them. And they're like legit, like, you know, indigenous um, governments to you know, Canadian government negotiations and I got to sit there and watch them and just just observe really. I didn't I didn't have a seat at the table. I was sitting back and anything like that. Um, but I remember my dad would always ask me after, like, what did you learn or what do you think and everything like that? And he just really made it like it was a historical moment, right? And anyone could go, like I think they had it pretty open. And so it kind of was just up to people whether they went. My brothers went with me a few times, but I remember going. And she really what got me into politics, just learning that, right? But we would be saying something and our meaning for language or the thing that we would say, like a word, would mean something completely different for someone else coming from a very colonized point of view and mindset, right? And I think there's a huge misunderstanding there that happens and it happens before people even realize that there's like a chosen misunderstanding because that language doesn't even, even though we're still speaking English, the English that I use and like the words and the values that I put into different words and specific language, right, is from my culture and like my original language. So it's very different than how like political people like talk or government officials, right? So I think... I, it's really hard because I went to school for government, like for politics and stuff like that, but I would never work, like I would never work for Indian Affairs and I would never work for like a band council on um, a First Nations. So my values are very conflicted and I kind of, I'm more into like the analyzing, I guess, and the data of it all um, and the mediation, I guess. Um I would really like to see more First Nations and Indigenous communities, not just First Nations, but like all Indigenous communities really go back to like a true um, traditional government, like form of government. We still have that in my community, but we have both. So there's a lot of friction and a lot of fighting and like who takes the lead and these people want to be the leaders, but these people are the leaders. And then that comes down to our community, right? And so where does that where does that get fixed I, I don't know right I still don't have the answer for that one I think people a lot of people don't know that I, I, an indigenous person in my community a friend a, a mentor took me to our local communities and talked to me about the different you know there's band council and then there's traditional and and I think people don't realize that that happens in community that there is that friction we have in in you know colonized uh, Western Ontario or, you know, Canada or rural, a system, a political system that, that people don't trust. And yet we don't want or don't want to vote for people that are honest. <laughs> we don't want somebody that's going to admit they make a mistake. You know, you talked about failure and being able to fail and feeling really freed by that. And making mistakes as human beings is a really freeing thing also being vulnerable admitting when you make a mistake making reciprocity doing you know doing good deeds and the more that i learn about indigenous culture and indigenous ways the more i think that the world would be so much better if we could go back to indigenous ways because i mean it's the things that 
you're taught when you're a child that are good. The seven grandfather teachings are, you know, what what makes up a good person and then a good community. And I want to say also that I was a reporter at the time during the Caledonia um, uprising, like the the land back, and I actually went there and interviewed David Peterson, former um, Ontario Premier, who was a mediator uh, between the two sides and um, saw there was a lot of media there. Definitely. It was a really big deal. And I think it's so fascinating that you were there to sit in on that, that, you know, negotiation and kind of be part of that in the, in the, in the audience and, 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 you know, listen. And so as I hear you talk though, I wonder you know, why wouldn't you want to become a mediator or, you know, part of negotiating, um, you know, because you have that political background, you have a foot kind of in each culture, um, you know, maybe that's something in the future? Yeah, it's definitely something that I have um, internal battles with. But for me personally, I have, I have talked about it. I've had people ask me questions like, I've, had people like why don't you go and run for council or why don't you you know um run run for band council and stuff like that and I I guess it just goes back to um my main like teachings that I was raised on and born into right um traditionally so um as Haudenosaunee people and like as I go to Longhouse and you know that's what Haudenosaunee Haudenosaunee people is people of the Longhouse and um so that's where my culture lies in, right? And um, everything that band council is, even though the people holding those positions are people from our community, the system itself was implemented by force in our community. I don't know about everyone else's community, but our community, um, it started in the 1920s and my grandparents were there, right? So maybe it's blood memory too, I don't know, but... Um, I just, um, anything that has to be put into place by force and not something voluntarily or, you know, like embraced by the community can't be good for the community. And those systems and the way that they do everything, the protocols, mm-hmm. they haven't changed much, right? So I think for me to ever have full faith in a system, which is why I would never be a part of it because I just wouldn't want to attach to my, my name to something that I don't have full faith in. Right. So right now, unless they radically changed it, you know, and like did an overturn, which I do, um, I, I, I do, what's the word for, um, lobby for, I guess I have talked to not publicly, <laughs> this would be the first time, I guess, but like in previous, um, debates that I've had at school or papers or even like just with family um me and my dad used to get in this fight really a lot not a fight but like you know a very passionate debate we'll say his dad was a hereditary chief and so for in our culture the chief titles and clan mother titles they get passed down um matrilineal right so even though his dad was a chief he doesn't have that title in his family my dad um Coming back to my mom's family, we do have that title in our family for our matrilineal family. And so um, in my matrilineal family, kinship family, um, the chief is actually my older brother. So there's just a lot of different political entanglements there too as well, right? It's very, it's sad and it's unfortunate. And I think the game that the government played at the time worked very well, right? If you go into our communities, you will see that divisiveness so like deep. It runs so deep to um, either like the location of where you live is kind of determined on maybe your cultural upbringing too. Not always, right? But even to, so... Like I said, I grew up going to Longhouse and some people who, um, you know, they're, um, they either don't go to Longhouse or they weren't raised traditionally. Maybe they go to church or they do vote and, you know, the government elections, anything like that. Right. There are people, not something that I do, but I have had it said to me and I've had just since we were kids. Right. This is a thing that people have say, but they'll say, oh, you're Longhouse. And then other people will say, oh, you're a band console. 
you know what I mean? So that's that's a very that's how deep it goes. That's how deep that divide goes. Um, there definitely has to be a un- union and a unity. Me personally, I don't think because of how far it's went and how much that distresses, I don't think that that can ever be fixed from the council themselves and even the hereditary council, um, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. Some people in our community. They, you know, because they're band council supporters, they, they say that, you know, that's the real government too, right? So it's on both sides. I am kind of biased, I guess, because of my upbringing and where, where I was raised and born and what I believe in, right? Um, I really do believe in, like, the true forms of traditional governments, especially as Indigenous people, especially because we got that taken away through force. So I do think that because we always fight for self-determination, that is something that we should always have access to now do i think that that should look the same in 2022 as it did in 1920 or 1820 or 1600 no and that may be where some people in my community and me would then even from longhouse right where and me and my dad disagree to agree you can't change that you can't do this and and that's just one way of thinking my way of thinking is you know, even if we go back to my own culture and everything like that from like the beginning of our people, like if you go back to all of our stories, our cultural stories and our oral histories and everything like that, we did advance, right? We evolved and our political systems, they grew and they evolved as things needed to environmentally for us. I think that that's where we're at here in our community. I don't think that that's where we are yet because people are still in the fighting thing. I think it definitely takes someone to sit there and stand up and say, hey, this is what we need to do. People keep telling me that I need to do that. I don't want to be the one to do that. Um, But I do see that in the future, right? I don't think that because unfortunately, I don't see the government of Canada going anywhere. Not that it's a bad thing, but you know, as an Indigenous person, that, that wouldn't be something that would be, <laughs> it's something I've dreamed of. <laughs> um, but even like the Ontario government, right? So I always think going back to why I went into politics and everything, we have to learn how to self-determine our best reality within the systems that are in place because those structures aren't going to be broken down within my lifetime. Like I don't see that as something that is a reality, right? Maybe I'm pessimistic. I don't know, but I think that right now it would be really, really cool in my own community if we saw, I kind of say like a three-tier kind of council, right? Like like a band council and then our traditional council and then a people's council. Because right now, from if you look at both councils, they really, really have strayed away from the people. And, that, and that's what a true form of democracy is. And that's what we say still. Like we are that first form of democracy we still hold that blah 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 blah. well because even if you go to our Haudenosaunee like council meetings right and they say like that's what we do and anyone can come here they have to also realize and come to terms and 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 identify I guess that their own community not all of them are at this time still in that system right they because of colonization and everything else that happened they they did get decolonized or colonized right and so we need to decolonize them back in and how do we think that they should feel comfortable or even have the knowledge to say even though i know like this is how i go and bring something up to our traditional council does someone who grew up not knowing any of that do they know how to do that right do they know that protocol that's not something that's we don't have a government office and that's, you know, there or anything like that. So really just having people like break that down to the community and having the community have that much say into it, right? My husband comes from a very, very small community. They only have one form of government. So I get to see it play out in two community levels, right? Um, in very different ways. So like, even though they don't have their traditional form of government, they have a band council, but they'll do um, they'll do those polls like where everyone has to vote, right? And they have to have like a true majority, like they have to have that 
And if not, then whatever bill they're trying to pass or whatever investment they're trying to do with the community, they'll table it and they'll stop it or they go back and they they actually have true community consultation. And Montana, like Montana and some of his family, they'll kind of get frustrated still, right? Oh, well, they should have did this or they should have did that. And me, I'm like... I would like to just get asked. Like, that would be so cool if we got to go and vote on things like this. Like, half the, they don't tell us that they invest in things until after they already invest in them, right? And that's where the friction lies because they're deciding what is important for their community without hearing and listening to their community what's important and on both sides of it, right? So I, yeah, I think it would really just have to radically change because I don't think I could um sit on council like and agree to them and I would probably be someone that would just like stir the pot (laughs) I don't know if they would like me on there stirring the pot's a good thing and so we talked about um authenticity and I want to bring it back to your business that was fascinating thank you for sharing all of that stuff because it's very educational but also coming from your perspective and, Mm -hmm. and hearing with your political background and all of that stuff it's just so interesting. So thank you so much for sharing that. <laughs> You're a very vulnerable person. You're very open out and authentic, even in your social media. And one of the things that you've shared quite openly is your mental health and some of the struggles that you've had. Do you want to talk about that? That is something I am always more than open to talking about because I don't think people talk about it enough. And that is definitely a stigma that I work very hard to break in my own family, in my own friendship, social circles, cultural circles, and and, and on social media and and in my business. Because I think that the more people realize, we look at someone who has anxiety or depression as kind of like a fake sickness or something like that, right? And then if someone says, oh, I have arthritis, or I have like, whatever like a sinus infection oh my god you're so like take a week off or whatever right and and yes definitely do listen to your body and take the rest that it needs when it needs our mind is also an organ (laughs) and our mind also can show like on tests right when it is sick and when it is depressed it has different brain waves and it shows that right and so to really still have to fight against that in this day and age to me is is crazy but I kind of struggled with anxiety and depression probably since I was little I didn't know that I knew I had depression since I was younger because um probably like in high school I used to have different like just random weird like never knowing mystery illnesses that would happen and so you know just being a person who is a kid and having to be in the hospital or go to different specialists and stuff like that can be depressive. Um, I remember I would be sitting in like an arthritis specialist um, office one time and I was like 16 and I was by far the youngest client there. That can definitely take a hit on your confidence in how you see yourself and whether you see yourself as a person that has strength and health or not, right? Because why am I here? So that definitely played a big part. And it still does because I have some health and issues like that. But I've always been very open about it and very much aware of talking about it. Probably around the time that I moved back to um, Brantford, which is just outside of Six Nations here, I had just moved home and I was one credit away from graduating university. I was gonna, you know, commute to do the one last credit. And so we moved home and did whatever. I found a job. We moved home in April and my dad unexpectedly passed away in May. And I had just got married the fall before that. So it was it was really hard. It's very close with my dad, as you can tell, I've talked about him quite often throughout this whole interview. So it was unexpected. It wasn't something he was he was young. He was 52 I think when he passed so it it wasn't something that we thought would happen um that really threw my mental health through not only mine but like my siblings as well having gone through mental health and having already gone through other losses in my life um and processing grief and being able to figure out different healing things like I've done like quantum healing workshops and different stuff like that. I'm very open-minded, right? I still struggled a lot, but I was I was self-aware. And so I knew that I was grieving. I knew that I was having a hard time. And I, I knew that 
the anger that I was feeling towards Montana or whoever else in my life was, was grief, right? It was, I, I didn't really hate you or anything that was happening. But what I did see was my siblings fight and struggle through that, right? Because they, they were very, um, not closed minded, but they just never really thought about mental health like that. I remember when I got on anxiety uh, medication and antidepressants the first time and my brother came and he was like, what are you doing using like medication like that? Like, you know, like they're going to make you crazy. You're going to get addicted on them. And that was because of how we were growing up and, and, and like, you know, just, just the things that we were exposed to, right. That, that was a big worry, but I just had to tell him like, Right now, my brain scares me more than those what-if futures, right? But it was something that he had never seen. He'd never been around. And so he was just, like, he didn't know. And me trying to tell them, like, you know, like, I think you have depression or I think you, you might have anxiety or, I like, to some other people, maybe, maybe you have some kind of anger issues that you have to, you know, maybe look at, become self-aware, go and talk to whoever you need to talk to about it or to me if you want to. Being that person to try to get everyone else to do is, is kind of hard, right? Doing that with Montana has been hard. Um, he's not a person that communicates very well, like at all. Like, and I'm a person, I need to talk everything out and I need to talk about it from every different side of it too. Montana is a person that he just needs to just sit in silence and he'll come and find you when he needs to talk to you about it so that that's hard um especially when you're going through grief and you know you're not yourself and everything like that so that became uh, just it just made it more apparent and how important it was to be open about it and for people to know that it's it's normal and it happens a lot more often than people think a lot more people around you are struggling from anxiety, depressive, or suicidal thoughts, or anything else that you might not even know, right? I have done and suffered through those since I was a little kid. And up until my mid-20s to now, have I really been open about telling that to people? The more that I've been open, the more that I see people in my family be open. I see other people looking in, out and getting therapy right where that wasn't a thing that was even talked about in my family you know growing up or anything like that um now now people in my family do 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 that and they do if it's medication or if it's meditation or um self-care in any other way right i don't um use medication anymore i used to and i've since just tried to do like breathing and different techniques and and just talking about it really because anxiety is you think the everything's everyone's about you like you think everyone's thinking about you and everyone's talking about you and you're super paranoid and it's a lot more than what people think I think when I first start telling people that I was anxious they were like oh yeah we just don't stress out right and it would be so bad that I couldn't drive in a vehicle like with Montana. Like that's what got me to go to the doctors is because he lives where he lives and we live. So we drive a lot, right? We would be driving and like, I would be just clenching and it just got to the point where I would have to like look at my phone or like I would have to distract myself some way, have music, like headphones on something. So we definitely knew there was more than just like a normal thing. Right. And then the more that I talk about it and the more that I look at it and it's just like, whoa, like that's, that's because of anxiety, you know, like I'm, my legs are shaking right now. Like I do that, like my knees, I definitely bounce them all the time. And that's why, and things like that, you didn't even know, like I've shaken my leg like that my whole life. I never knew that that was actually a tick that is from like anxiety, right? So now that I know that, when that does happen, right, my body is telling me that, like, you're, you're going, you know, you're feeling anxious, blah, 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 how do you ground yourself, and now I can do that while I'm talking to you, whereas, like, a year ago, even six months ago, I would, like, barely be able to finish talking to you, and then I would just think about it all day, like, did I trip over my words, or was I not even, like, what was I saying to her, because I wasn't even aware of it, right, I was disassociated the entire time, it's definitely progress. I definitely have a long way to go, but I think like the further I go, 
the better it'll be not only for me, but everyone else like in my life, right? Like my family and everything like that. And just the kids, like I have a lot of nieces and nephews. Me and Montana don't have any kids. We unfortunately had three miscarriages, which have um, definitely aided in my mental health battles over the years and like that grief, right? I am a really, I love being an auntie and I love being a big sister. It's awesome and it's amazing. And I took me a long time to realize that they watch me and they, they, you know, like they're really paying attention. So I just like, I want to be the best person for what they're paying attention, whether that's owning a business or, you know, being whatever it is with my culture, being just a kind person, being funny or being healthy as I can be right and putting myself as a priority and putting boundaries there I used to be a big yes person which most people that have anxiety are um never used to know how to say no I used to be big on people pleasing so the past year or so I've been really learning the language of no or not at this time or I don't have that capacity and also just leaving it at that because I would tell people that, but then I would just like overshare everything, right? Like, this is why I can't do it. Blah, 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 blah. Please don't be mad at me. And now it's just like, no, I'm sorry. I can't do it right now. And if they do ask for further clarifications or further details, then I'll give them what I feel comfortable with. But for the most part, because I'm already so open with my mental health struggles and stuff like that that when I do tell someone like I don't have the capacity at like right now for this but I'll come back to you right or if I haven't messaged someone back because I'm so open with it people have learned to give me grace and that's something I've been trying to teach myself is to give myself grace and live with grace but that's been more there right because I've given people the opportunity to know that part of me right like she's not just lazy or flaky or whatever. She's probably overwhelmed and she already has all these other struggles that really do sometimes, I don't want to say debilitate me because I do still get the things done. Maybe just not exactly when I want it to get them done, right? Like, so sometimes I will have to take a rest day, which people will be like, you're not even sick or anything like that. But my mental health, because it got so bad, because I let it get so bad, I burnt myself out for years of just working and working and working. That as soon as I, my mental health goes and I get too stressed, I'm sick. Like my whole body shuts down. I get a really bad cold. I've been starting to get like sinus infections in the one side of my head. Those come back to being stressed and being sick and like having that mental, like, just to overwhelm right so now I'll be like I'm sorry like I need a break or I'm only doing xyz today and that's it so just giving myself grace with that that that's not something that we can learn like all at once and we'll get there that's all so you at the beginning you talked about um supporting Montana in um pursuing his dreams and you talked about your mom and you know that's the way that you were brought up pursue your dreams and so I want to know what your dreams are for the future, for yourself, but also for your community. It's kind of hard. You know, that's so funny that I, I love your question. That's a question that I don't really give myself the opportunity to even sit with or ask or answer enough. I, I feel like I was born to help other people. I was born to really, you know what I mean? And I have so much that I can give to other people. But sometimes I think that that's kind of my downfall too, because I get so focused on other people, right? And how to help them flourish and thrive. And so in February of this year, I told Montana, like, my main priority right now is to get Adam's Family Inc. to a position where I don't have to be there every day, right? Adam's Family Inc. and Boutique is Montana's dream, which love it. And that's my dream too, because, you know, as like your dreams can evolve and grow and you, and you can have new ones. And Montana, his dream has been to be a professional tattoo artist and a professional artist. My dream has been able to try to help him achieve that in any way, right? I do have my own dreams beyond that, but that's that that's that one dream, right? So they're kind of tied together. So I don't want to ever say like Adam's Family Inc. and Boutique isn't my dream because it is. It really, really is. And I love it. And it's my baby. And it always will be. But that isn't my end-all be-all. I listened to this other podcast. I can't even remember what who it was or anything. But they... um 
asked them to introduce themselves and they called themselves a multi-passionate entrepreneur. And I was like, yes, <laughs> exactly. Because I have like, a notebook and I have notes like on my um, phone right of like the next five years or however many phases because I don't like to print myself on a timeline either to be like oh this is what I want to do in like the next year or five years so I have like phase one and phase two and phase three so I have that for Adam's Family Inc. and Boutique I definitely have other businesses like already in the forefront of my mind that I've been planning and working towards for the past year different stuff but they are my dreams that I've always had growing up, but also they tie into what you said, like, what do I dream for for my community, right? Right now, moving home and being here, I'll look at, like, what do I want? What do I need, right? That's what I do when I'm ordering stuff for Adam's Family Inc. and Boutique. We are a retail store, so we carry, like, apparel and stuff like that. There isn't a lot of different places around that, that like, that carry stuff like that. So, you know, any given season, I'll be thinking like, oh, I really need a toque or I got to go to the mall to get new scrunchies or I want new sweaters or something like that. And I'll be like, okay, so that's the stuff that I need to order in because that's the stuff that I'm looking for, right? There's probably what other people are going to look for. So going back to that same concept and like that same mindset, I think about like other things that I'm looking for. I have traveled a lot of different places. I like little boutiques and little markets, you know, with the string lights and stuff like that. Me and my brother, um, we have done like night markets and stuff like that. We actually were doing them all through pandemic. He was doing that um, with his business and I helped him with that. Um, we've done a couple at Adam's Family Inc. already. So I definitely see us moving hopefully sometime in the future to a different bigger space where we can hold annual markets right like like maybe once a month or every Friday or something like that so I definitely need like a bigger space and everything like that that's kind of the plans for Adam's Family Inc. and Boutique I would love to add on more artists which we've been looking into like expanding our space and stuff like that we I would love to get a barber because we don't have a really good barber um Montana like drives to like Hamilton to the mall to go I know other people that go to like Burlington and different places like that right there's other barbers but it's really just preference right so I think as a business person okay if I'm driving that far then there's there's a place there right there's room there's there's room for that um business that goes really along with tattooing personal care so I think like having a barber those clients would really intersect so that just to me seems like a very you know good next step um I've always always been into hair and stuff like that I did cosmetology when I was in high school like I said I'm a woman of very many hats I know I go in all these different directions but personally I always loved tattooing like even before I met Montana I never saw myself being a tattooer because I'm not artistic but I do love um, indigenous traditional tattooing and I have been teaching myself like, you know, the theory, I guess, and stuff like that. I haven't, I've done, Montana has fake skin and so I've used his gun and done some tattoos and stuff with like stencils that he's done on there. So that's really cool. I have been trying to get into the stick and poke, hand poke, they call them different things. So that's something that I would like to do. Um, there's a lot of big movements happening with Indigenous Tattoo Revival. As a woman, like, you know, even like matri matriarchal, right? Like, if you look at that, like, I just think that it would be very, some like, amazing if I could provide that as well. Um, we do a lot of cultural, like, pieces and designs with our tattooing, like, in our studio, which is amazing. Like, just seeing the different ideals and things that people bring us and some of them will have their own art like that they either have like or their family member or whatever has right and just having these designs and everything and then being at, people have that confidence to showcase themselves that we've never seen that before right I didn't grow up seeing a lot of people like that it's awesome that I get to be a part of that so I kind of want to do that but my main and biggest thing that I want to do, which is my biggest plan right now, is actually starting my own podcast, which is why why I actually listened to your podcast before I um, before I got your message when we first start talking in the springtime. I've 
been a podcast listener since before podcasts were cool. <laughs> I remember like listening to podcasts like when I was um, in high school and like early twenties, and I would have to like download them and then like put them on my iPad or on my Kubo or whatever like that. Right? I've been an avid reader. I'm like a huge book reader, so like podcasts is just kind of the next thing for me. If I can help you in any way. I think you're an amazing storyteller, and I could listen to you tell stories. Your brother's absolutely a wise person. You do have a gift, and uh, I really appreciate your time today. So thank you for spending time with me, Katie. Want to keep the conversation going? Subscribe to the Clearing a New Path newsletter. Drop me an email. Follow the podcast on social media and or you can leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Clearing a New Path podcast artwork is supported by the graphic design of Katie Wilhelm and the music branding is by The Hankering Studio. The podcast is produced by Radar Media in Thames Centre, Ontario. It is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and Mississauga or neutral peoples who once used this land as their traditional beaver hunting grounds. The First Nations communities closest to the studio are Chippewa of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, Muncie Delaware First Nation, and the Chippewas of Kettle and Stony Point. I will speak to many more people across Turtle Island this season, and as a settler here, I'm committed to deepening understanding of colonialism, the TRC's calls to action, and to reframing responsibilities to land and community. I am grateful to Mother Earth and Creator for the opportunity for love and connection, and to the spirits of the elders and the medicine people who still walk the earth. Until next time, 